Technostatic Podcast. What's going on? What's going on? We're here. We're, We're here. here. Finally, a little dude. Late, we skipped like late, how many know? weeks, I feel like, dude? Two? Three? I two, don't know. It's two, been a couple weeks. I've uh, been kind of slow, been kind of busy. We're always know? slow, but... You know. Um, but yeah, we're here. We're going to talk some tech. We're going to talk uh, some good, cool stuff today, I think. Yeah, it'll be um, an interesting kind of off the cuff. Yeah, it's going to be a little off the cuff. I mean, we're it, always As far as tech cuff, news maybe, goes, you know, uh, there's not really like any kind of significant stuff going on. Like I've been watching and reading the tech news and stuff, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, no new releases, nothing major. There's like an ROG phone that like I saw reviews, and I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you know, we, uh, we, we, we made. We made some uh, um, predictions. I don't think we talked about like the M2 stuff. Oh no, no, not really. Um, well, we we got into like we went over what happened at WWDC, right? Yeah, you know? but 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 now people uh, have M2 in their hands. You yeah, I want to be honest. I haven't watched anything in, like really about you know people's kind of in, impressions. I see a lot of videos out about. Why did this? Why does this exist for like the sure, MacBook Pro? Sure. Like so, the, so I can give like a quick, like give me like two minutes, okay? Because sure. I just want to cover some things. Take so, it. if you're in the market for an M2 laptop, um, wait for the Airs. Don't buy the Pros. This is like the super cliff note version, okay? So, wait for the M2 Air. Don't buy the re, the same chassis Touch Bar 13 Pro. Avoid the 256 gigabyte model. Um, and the reason for that is, is because it only uses half the PCIe lanes and uh, Apple Silicon like relies heavily on like swap. So um, uh, it's just it's significantly less performant in nearly every task across the board. Wow. So uh, the 256 version shouldn't exist at all. Avoid that one like the plague. Uh, it does run hotter. Uh, the battery life is slightly worse, uh, but the performance is pretty pretty damn good. Pretty much what you would expect to see. Uh, it's a solid upgrade. Uh, avoid the 13 Pro and avoid the 256 gigabyte storage option, and that's that's pretty much the important stuff, I think. So, yeah, you know, I'll say one thing though: the M1 was already really good. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know, man. Like. I think some people would just be better off to stay with the M1. Yeah, know? if you already have an M1, like like this yeah. isn't like something that like you need to upgrade to. But like if you were on the fence and you were like saying I'm going to get another year out of my laptop and you were looking for something, um, the pre-order for the new Airs uh, go live in two days. So what is that? Friday? They go live Friday, and they'll ship on July fifteenth. So right. you have four color options. You have Starlight, Midnight, Space Gray, and Silver. Um, avoid the 256 gigabyte option and you should be good to go. You know, I yeah. kind of like that midnight color. It's kind of different. It's kind of unique. It looks kind of cool. If I was buying um, one, it would be the midnight for sure. Same, same. It Cause just, it's different. It does you know, look it's good. Unique. You're right. Yeah. And like, um, uh, the M2 performance is, it's, it crushes even the M1 Max and the M1 Ultra in single core. Um, obviously, right. Cause there's right. no architecture. Um, but it's it's still a little behind in multi-core, but it's way better than the M1, especially in graphics. Graphics got a huge bump, yeah. huge bump. Um, I yeah. wonder, does it? Okay, so it does get hotter. So does it? it does throttle? get hotter? It does throttle, but it only throttles when you're using like stupid workloads, like workloads you would never use, like something that literally pegs the CPU and pegs the GPU. Okay. So like um Max Tech I think got it to throttle by running Cinebench R23 and running GFX Bench at the same time. So like that's something that like you would never do, right? Mm. Um uh, I wonder if I'm like doing a blender render if it's going to throttle. Right? Probably not. Um and and the only reason I say that is because <clears throat> uh I think when like the same application is making like interrupts, like calls to the to the SOC, I think it, I, I think by default like like Apple will like throttle the CPU and be like, all right, we'll give them fifty percent CPU because they're it's they're only going to save like ten seconds. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I've 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 noticed uh, uh, Apple Silicon does that very well with like the scheduler. the The other thing I thought was interesting is the TJ Max on the M2 is one hundred five C. So mm-hmm. like. Okay, typically so it's we're, we're really gonna allow you to get hotter. yeah. So like typically okay. we're used to like things like pegging around like ninety nine. Uh, right. The TJ Maxx for the M two appears to be one hundred five is what people are discovering. So like the M two under that crazy circumstance of running two benchmarks at once did hit one hundred five C. 
So okay, well, there's no fan or anything. So no, no, yeah, yeah. It, it's just the way it is. But yeah. I mean, I gotta say, like the air is still awesome. Uh, no, it's great. You know, yeah. I, I mean, unless you have a sustained load of like significant, like unique sustained load, uh, then you're gonna be like just fine with it. Yeah, um, and it, you know, it could even do video editing and stuff just fine, especially because a lot of that's accelerated now. Uh, with the media engine and things like that, like it's not going to max out your sure. whole ship. Sure. Um, you're going to be fine. What I thought was interesting was like, I don't know if you're familiar with like that speedometer test where that basically goes over like running different web scripts and stuff. Yes. To like kind of determine how fast your experience will be doing like normal browsing, so on and so forth. The M2 scored double what my 12900K desktop gets with DDR5. Dang. Double. Serious. Yeah. It's wow. insane. It's, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, that's really amazing. I mean, that's what Apple can really do with this custom architecture is whatever they want. Like, I know we're, yeah. we have an ARM baseline with, like, you know, but, like, the fact that they have complete control over the hardware and the software, like, they can do kind of cool shit. Like, yeah. I, like, they design the chip, right? So the SOC is what makes this magic happen, really. And so I, I don't know. It's awesome. I... I I think that the uh, we're behind in aspects on the PC as far as innovation goes. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, it's kind of like that conversation we had the other day where, like, you know, Windows needs to kind of get out of their Qualcomm deal so they can have, you know, other third-party SOC manufacturers make, make ARM chips that can run Windows. Yeah, I really think that if we get, like, NVIDIA in the game, like, making ARM chips, Windows ARM chips, uh, man, like, we might actually be able to have, like, a good... Uh, desktop arm experience i think so too um but like it, microsoft's gonna have to follow suit with like really good arm software because like right. right now what they have is just not enough it doesn't cut it it doesn't cut it they can't they're not competing with rosetta 2 which is really what you're gonna need because nobody's gonna want to um lose all their x86 applications it's like when they had the uh, microsoft surface uh tablets that came well, with like their student edition of windows uh like well it's interesting you bring that up because that. the surface pro x still exists right yeah and like it and just got bad. refreshed it <laughs> just got refreshed with new hardware and like it's still so poor that like it it, it was like it like fizzled out before it even released you right because I mean? it can like run can't it run x86 applications it just can, badly just poorly yeah it, it even runs some arm apps poorly yeah. so and I think that's really just because, like, what Apple's done is they designed the Apple Silicon chips with Rosetta 2 in mind. So they knew they were going to have to do this compatibility layer. So there's a right. hardware component uh, yeah. built in to facilitate that translation layer, whereas, like, you get a Qualcomm chip, and it doesn't give a right? fuck about x86. Yeah, but like, but, but, like, Qualcomm made that chip for Microsoft, right? So, like... It's interesting because you would assume that Microsoft would be like, listen, we have a lot of legacy applications that will need that will not get an update and they need to run, you know? Right. You would think right. that that would have been a requirement to make the device, you know, somewhat performant. But it, well, I it'd have it, to be I like a pretty right? deep collaborative effort, right? Because sure. it's a hardware and a software problem. So, and the fact that Apple controls both of those, they can really, you know, design right. their hardware with their software in mind. Whereas like Qualcomm is a little less uh, cognizant of Microsoft and how they want to do things and vice sure. versa. So, you know, there's like that, that, that disconnect and they haven't been able to bridge that gap yet. Right. And that's what they really need to do because until we get a Rosetta 2 equivalent for uh, the PC, we're not going to really want to go to ARM. Nobody's no. going to suddenly drop all their x86 applications and start developing for ARM. It's just not going to happen. You know, developers aren't just going to flip a switch and then just be on. It's just not how it works. Unfortunately, it's just not how it works. It's not easy. Like software development, as we know, because we've been looking into it uh, lately as, you know, as that's kind of where we're trying to go. It's like very difficult. And uh, developers yeah, just aren't going to go a good point. on like that, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, there are some that are doing it, but like even to this day on the Mac, you know, there's still a lot of applications that aren't Apple Silicon supported. They're just back but they compatibility run great. They run great. through uh, Rosetta 2. I mean, they do run great. In fact, they run really well 
impressively well, but they would run that much better if they were compiled for ARM. Sure. They're just, you know, developers, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do, and they're not doing that. Uh, so that's kind of like, like a stopgap. Um, my video feed is going through OBS, and OBS is going through Rosetta too. Oh, so. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's great. I mean, you know, Rosetta 2, like, I haven't had a single issue with it. It's, like, literally magic. You don't even think about it. And, like, that's the best case scenario. Like, Microsoft sure. really needs that. So, I mean, because I would love to see the, the, the ARM efficiencies come to desktop. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I mean, just because, like, I'm desperate for more single-core performance. Um, like, really need single-core. Like, yeah, we're throwing... We're, our CPUs are getting more and more cores and threads, but we aren't getting enough single core leaps, in my opinion. I think we're hitting that single core wall, though, right? Maybe, maybe. Maybe. I mean, that might be the case. And if it is, I mean, that's a shame because, like, the way... I, uh, let me rephrase. I, I, I think we're hitting the single core wall on x86. That might be the case. I mean, I don't think we're hit, we've hit a wall just yet. Like, we're still... Things are getting smaller and smaller still, you know, but like you're absolutely right for just the way that architect architecture is designed. It's like for some reason we just can't innovate in the single core department. It's just like impossible, I suppose. And it's a shame. I mean, a lot of things can be threaded, but like most of the time games can't be threaded sure. easily. Like, I'm doing a lot of research on how to design because, you know, you and I are getting into game dev a little bit. Spoiler alert. Ground floor. Like, literally, yeah. like, learning CS50. Like, not even. Yeah, yeah like, I've, I'm learning C uh, and, like, basic programming knowledge. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But really, you know, I'm trying to design a game that's optimized in sure. any way I possibly can. That means... You know, having multi-thread support. No textures. You know, yeah, using things like culling and other uh, uh, techniques to basically uh, optimize a game to run as fast as possible on potato sure. hardware. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to be efficient. And, you know, I watched an excellent video yesterday about, like, how software is actually getting worse uh, as far as efficiency go because hardware is advancing so quickly that software engineers have to be optimal less and less and they're forgetting the techniques that old software engineers sure. like the old guard had to use to be able to make fast code that's and a good point dude that's a really good point it's like we're losing um knowledge actually because the old guard that designed really good low-level software everything's like at a high-level programming lang language now you don't know what's working under the hood. You don't know how to be optimal. It's really something I want to avoid if possible. Sure. I don't want to fall into that that trap of just designing uh, a program that is shit under the hood. You know, like sometimes you'll get developers that are god tier, like the Factorio devs. They're amazing because like their game can do a shit ton. Okay. Uh, like with one CPU cycle, it's not even a multi-core game. Like... The amount that they can Why do. Why is that? Why can't they make it a multi-core game? They can, but it's difficult. Like, it is very difficult to do. There's one person that modified Factorio on Reddit to make it multi-core as sort of a proof of concept, and apparently it worked pretty well. <laughs> so, wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool because, like, the ultimate uh, death of a lot of Factorio runs is once your base gets too big, you, you, uh, you basically lag out. And then, like, same thing with RimWorld. Once your game gets too big, you'll get to the point where you can't play the game anymore because you're lagging out. Same with, like, games like Dwarf Fortress. It's a, uh, I don't know so if I've talked to you So would you say that Factorio that. is a pay-to-win game? Because if you have better <laughs> hardware, you could get farther? Uh, that's funny. Yeah, but basically, I mean, the, the, the better hardware you have, the further along uh, you can push it. Well, there you go. Before it Pay-to-win Factorio. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just kind of fascinating, dude. No, it's interesting stuff for sure. For sure, it's interesting. I mean, should we uh, should we talk about the game dev stuff now? Or yeah, let's dive right in. Why not? Yeah. So you know, for all sixteen of you out there who are interested. Yeah. So game dev, dude. I mean, I I'm interested to 
talk to the wall about game dev, dude. I've been yeah. looking at yeah, it but that's hard. like that's like how you are. Like you go off the deep end with things, yeah. right? And then you're you're deep in it. It's so, kind of a rare thing, though. Like it only happens every so often where I go like full commit, like I full send it, you know. And like full I, send, dude. it was like that when I built my arcade cabinet. I basically did nothing but uh, build that thing for like a, a month and a half or something. True. And then like now I'm like that with game dev where I'm going like a hundred percent. And like basically, I don't know what happened. I was sitting there one day, and then I was like, "You know what? You know what? I'm gonna make a fucking game, dude." There like, you go. I was like, That's "I'm gonna make happens. the best game." You That's know how it happens because like I was, I was like, "You know what? I'm mad because every day I would like, you know, be awake at night thinking, where the fuck's my perfect game at?' You know." Where the fuck is it? I like how yeah. I like how these are the things that keep you up at night. Like some people are like, oh man, I'm stressed about having kids. I'm stressed about bills. Oh, I am you lie stressed awake about and thinking, shit. when's someone going to make the game I want? You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally a first world problem. But it I get is. it, you it know, is. and it's interesting because you came to me and you kind of, you know, brought the idea to me and like, obviously I think everyone at some point thinks of making a game, right? Like if you're a gamer, you obviously yeah. have your own ideas, you have your own experiences and you want to create something. Right. That ultimately is your vision. Uh, But it's a large undertaking, right? So like, it's one of those things that's like not many people do. Right. And it's, it's, I'll be honest, like it's going to take a lot. You know what I mean? It's going to be a lot, a a, a huge commitment. It's going to be a lot of trial and error, a lot of learning, a lot of, well, this doesn't work. Right. And then you have to reach those, those hard crossroads where it's like, what do we leave out? Right. Because it's just not feasible, you know? Yeah, so it's kind of funny what you're talking about as far as, like, what do we leave out and stuff. Like, what you should do in game design is, is kind of best practice is work towards your, like, least, uh, like, well, when you're building a game, you kind of want to build towards a target. And that target should be, like, the least amount of stuff to be shippable, right? Like, so what core, do you absolutely, what's, what's the core? core that you need to ship your game and then work on that stuff. Don't spend too much time on like doing this crazy complicated shit, sure. work towards the least technically acceptable product. Uh, and then like, once you get there, now you can start working on like the cool shit that you maybe like you don't necessarily need, but you might want. That's when you can Fair. work on it. So like you kind of want to target like this, this baseline. And so, like, it's kind of an interesting thing because a lot of people will spend, like, maybe weeks or months on features that, like, they don't even end up implementing because of that, right? Right. So, that's why it's, like, ideal that you don't waste any time in the beginning. You just kind of work on the core, you know? Mm -hmm. And another interesting thing is you don't just do that, but, like, when when you make a game, uh, I'm finding that it's best to, like, gray box kind of uh, prototype your game. So, okay. like, you don't worry about crazy art assets. You don't worry. If you want to, you can. But, like, it's ideal if you just stick with, like, boxes, gray box, right? And you just kind of, like, you know, you build a player controller. So, like, if it's a first-person game, you got, like, a maybe you got a cylinder that's, like, the player character. And you get it to move around and stuff. Like, you build the player controller. Uh, basic. Like, you know, like basic, basic shapes. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can kind of work in the mechanics around movement. Maybe you want to have a gun so you can model in like a little play gun. And just once you get the systems in place, you can always swap out the assets with like final products or like refine animations and stuff. But you need those baseline kind of, uh, I guess, mechanics in place to kind of get the ball rolling right 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 so that's kind of the 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 prototype stage is where you kind of just get some mechanics down and uh and get started you know with the basics and then you just build up from there so it's kind of interesting i you know i was doing a ton of research on like uh the best ways to go about like looking at game design and like what's optimal because you know a lot of people a lot of early game devs like waste a lot of time and uh, they get stuck. There's there's these walls they hit, and then they get discouraged and stuff like that. And I want to avoid all that, right? Like I want to try and like avoid being frustrated because that's gonna what's going to make though, me right? stop. I think that there right? is going to be a certain level of frustration that comes. Yeah, but it's like I have to be able to work through that, right? Like I I want to have enough accomplishments behind me to push me through those moments of frustration so that makes sense you start small right Mm -hmm. so like what we've been doing is like doing research okay well let me take this course cs50 and learn about programming 
let me uh, go through the tutorials on uh, the game engine we want to use, which is a Godot, and I'll talk more about that. But ultimately, we had to pick between a game engine, Unreal, Unity, and Godot. I went with Godot because it's free and open source, and it's kind of like the new hotness that's coming out. A lot of excitement behind it. I was like, yeah, let me let me get behind that and see if I can learn it. Sure. And I'm impressed enough with the products people are putting out with it that I think that you know, if they can put out something of that quality, I mean, I'll be lucky to be able to hit some of the quality that I've seen people do with Godot. So I'm right. like, that's not going to bottleneck me. I'm just going to work with that. And then, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, once I walk the walk and do the tutorials, make the basic game, you know what I mean? Get a little bit of a framework under my belt. Then I can kind of be a creative a little bit. Maybe I work in Throughout the, all those tutorials, I've learned how to do various things, and then I can combine them together and make like my own little games. And then once I got the experience from making those little games, then I can make a more ambitious game and just keep going from there, right? Like, that's like the the path. Right. So, I don't know, man. That's kind of the goal right now. I'm glad to have you on board. No, I get it. But, I, like, uh, you know, what do you think about the whole thing? I think it's going to be a challenge, right? Like... I don't know what your like time frame is, but like I see this, you know, this not being like a like a twenty twenty two project. I look at this as being like a like a three year project. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, no, you're right. That's realistic. So like people always say like double, triple the amount of time you think it's gonna take. And that's probably realistic because like <clears throat> it's we're like in the early phases, uh stages where we we need to like do so much learning and like so much doing. Yeah, we like, need to actually be doing the coding and writing the scripts and like getting into the the editor and and putting stuff down and like you know figuring out mechanics and like how to code for those mechanics. Sure. Um and and building a workflow. This is going to be the biggest thing. So obviously I have this dream game I want to make, but I can't just start there. Everyone says don't start with your dream game. Because you'll be uh, disappointed, you'll you'll um, it's too you'll, you'll hit it's a wall. Too it's too ambitious. For, yeah, for people, a... it's the scope is too high, right? Like obviously, I so just for the podcast sake, I'll say I want to make like an open world Skyrim like game, and to make a game like that, like that's a lot. The scope is big for a team of maybe two. You know what I'm saying? So that's a lot to do. So understanding the scope is so big. That's why I got to start small work my way up and then maybe once I get like a little bit of a perspective on like how realistic the you know that is to be sure. able to make a game like that then I can kind of rein myself in and be like okay well let's adjust the scope a little bit maybe I make a game that's has some compromises but kind of hits the target that I wanted you know maybe just scale down a little bit and and, and then go from there you know, so that's kind of I like my it. Get it. path to success, which is success being like I've released my games. I think and we need to. I'm happy. I think we need to set like smaller milestones. You know what I mean? Like, to yes. be honest with you, like we probably shouldn't even like focus on like things for the the game. You know what I mean? Right. Like I have the dream game as kind of like a goal, but like I have smaller games I want to make just for like growth purposes. Right. right. Like I don't even know if I'll release them. I don't know if they're going to be, but like everyone says you should always just kind of work on um, kind of learning games, right? Like games that are designed to hone your skills, right? Mm -hmm. It's really just getting in there, making something, practicing. So by learning games, you mean games for you to learn, not games for the player to learn. Correct. So it's really about your education, honing your skills in the editor, learning what, how to write code and the scripts and everything like that. So it's really going to be interesting to see, you know, how well I adapt to it because it's, it, this is very, it's alien to me, but also not, you know, you and I have written like code before just, you know, in the course of our work. And so Mm -hmm. it's not alien to us. Like these concepts are not alien to us. So I feel like a foreign concept. It's like a different mindset, right? Like it's a different, right. But I still feel like we have a pretty good, I guess, starting position. Like we, I feel like we have the mind for code. I feel like we're in a unique situation because we find learning fun. Like there are a, a, a large group of people out there who hate educational videos. Like my, the majority of my YouTube is, is nonfiction stuff. It's, it's right. It's educational in some facet, right? If it's, yeah. 
It doesn't matter what. Related, but yeah. If it's something, you know, technology related, if it's something coding related, if it's science or space, right. or even like, like learning about the latest, like, like hardware technologies and stuff that comes out and learning how those things work. That's where I gather my enjoyment from really is, 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 is knowledge, you know? So like, yeah. I feel like you and I are, are unique in that aspect where, whereas people view, would view this as like, something they have to do or whatever. It's something that I want to do because I like right. learning, you know? Honestly, that's the biggest thing. You said it perfectly. Uh, we're unique in the fact that we want to learn this stuff. Like, we like to, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's so... And it's, it's honestly... Right? It's like, super unique. Like, you know how many, like, IT people that I've talked to that, like, they don't like their job, dude. No. Like, they don't like IT. They don't like computers. Right. They just do it, but they don't like it. And I, I get that, man. Like, I don't like computers sometimes, too. But, like, I do yeah. like computers. I I go to work. I work on computers. I come home. I have my own servers I'm running. I, have I don't my own dislike shit. computers. Like, I dislike when humans interact with them. <laughs> yeah, because they don't know what they're doing. I don't like the help desk aspect of IT. Right. Right? But, like, thankfully, I that's minimal for me. Like, it's when you're <laughs> interacting with people. That's To me, that's different than working on computers. Right? No, I get it. I get it. But like, yeah, man. I mean, it's exciting stuff, right? Yeah. It's so it's, uh, it's it's definitely a journey that we're gonna go down together. Yeah, you know, win, lose, whatever. We're, we'll see what happens. Either way, like, hell. we're gonna come out the other end smarter than we were Gaining when we something. started. Yeah, right? something will be gained here. Like either way, you know, it was crazy. I'm watching. I'm re I'm watching. There's a Harvard University lectures uh, called CS50 on YouTube. You can also there's like an app for the Apple TV where they're at on there too. And, um, yeah, they're even in HDR. What the hell? Like the 2021 ones on YouTube. I'm like, what wow. the hell? Uh, Crazy. there's not really much benefit cause this dude's sweating and like the specular lighting on his sweat is just like <laughs> HDR bright, you know? HDR so sweat, if you want to get some HDR sweat, then yeah, watch it in HDR. Otherwise the 2021, he's not sweating. Um, so yeah, I'm going through these courses and it's teaching you basic C, like just C. And how sure. to program it and like what an array is, what functions are, what integers, strings, all this stuff. It's teaching you the fundamentals, which is really good. And you know, it's just, it taught, uh, I was watching lecture three. It went over like the debugger and how to like, how a debugger works. And it was sure. wild. So I was taking some training courses for work and um, they're web-based courses, right? They're like uh, PowerPoint slides. You click next, whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you can scum through these courses and just hit next, 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 and then get the certificate. But on yeah, this dude. one, you couldn't. So I hit F12, which is the, you know, the uh, Firefox wait, uh, wait, hold on, inspector, hold on. Is right? The, is this the first time you've used like inspect element and stuff? I mean, no, but like a lot of the stuff in here is like alien to me a little bit. Oh, okay. Right? But like after seeing the CS50 course... It's a lot less so. Sure. Like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I can click on debugger, and then I can, like, use this stuff to see, like, what scripts are running and, and what's happening. And you can, in, like, have breakpoints and stuff. I'm like, what is all this shit? Like, I had no idea before. But the course is teaching me stuff, and now I'm looking at things that I've looked at many times before with new eyes. And I'm like, dang, like, okay. Uh, I, I understand what this is a little bit better before than I did before, you know, like right. I'm actually getting stuff out of CS 50. I mean, more of the story. I couldn't skip that course uh, <laughs> and get to the <laughs> certificate, but uh, you know, it was worth trying. Gotta give it hell, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's just, I think it's really going to be worthwhile no matter what. I'm very excited though, to make some games, dude. Yeah, it'll I wanna, be fun. I want to make it'll some it'll like be a fun project for sure. We should, uh, what I want to do is like collaborate on smaller games, maybe, you know, like yeah. we can practice the workflow, which is going to be oh, dude, like, we have to be doing it together or else, you know, yeah. one, one of us going to fall off the wagon. What's yeah. our start game going to be like, what's the first like, little game? Like it's gotta be easy, right? Like I know I wanted to make an among us clone because it's that still sounds ambitious to me. I, I'm thinking more like, more like tic-tac-toe. Oh, well, that's super easy, dude. But, yeah, we can start off with some Pong or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's easy, easy stuff. It's easy, but, like, you know, but like then we can keep adding on features, you know? like like a score tracker. Yeah. You know, player entry. 
you know what I mean, for like high score and stuff like that to, to try to see how those things work out. You know, like there could be yeah. a lot there. Well, yeah, but like I'm going to be doing those like on my own time. Like I don't feel yeah. like we need to collaborate on Tic-Tac-Toe. That's fair. That's fair. Whereas like if we get into like something a little bit bigger, it's like we can divide and conquer on it a yeah. little bit. So it's like, okay, well, we need a, um, we need to work out like, you know, a player movement uh, system. Or like, and, and you know, there's a lot of Godot stuff with uh, multiplayer. So like, we can go through the tutorials for that, learn how multiplayer works, and uh, yeah, and then figure out like a character customization framework. Yeah, no, it'll be fun. That stuff. That'll be fun. Yeah, because I, I don't know, I have fun playing Among Us, but I was like, Among Us, Among Among Us, Among Us, but uh, yeah, I was like, I should just make my own because I, I want to make a multiplayer game because I think it'd be fun to play with my my bros. Sure. Yeah, uh, like get the friend group together. Be like, all right, everybody, we're playing my game. <laughs> Let's go. You know. Right. Right. And, then, uh, and just add some funny shit to it. You know. And then yeah, no, it'll be cool. I think it'd be kind of fun to make like a, a multiplayer game, because like ultimately the my dream game is the goal. So I'm always going to be trying to obtain knowledge that will help me create the dream game. The dream game, dude. Right. That's Which, the name of it, the it, dream game. It's basic, well, right now, because it has no name, but I want to make, like, a Skyrim-like game. Like, I want an open-world Skyrim-like game that's better than Skyrim in my ways, in ways that I think matter. That's fair. Um, Which is interesting, because I think that, like, we have a lot of the same views on that just based off of... Our discussions? The, yeah. Yeah, so, like, obviously, the scope of the game is going to change, but, like, I want to have reasons for exploration. There was an excellent YouTube video I watched recently about like why open worlds can be good or bad. And, um, and and it was pretty insightful. And like one of the worst things you can do is make an open world where there's like no reason to explore. Well, like the problem I have with like open world games, um, I think, uh, I think borderlands is a really good example. And like, I keep like, playing with my eyes in case anyone's watching and is like, what the hell is he doing? My allergies are like <laughs> terrible today. So oh, it's all good. They're, they're like constantly tearing. It sucks. Um, but anyway, uh, so like I was playing through Borderlands 3 for a little, a little bit with my buddy Paul and like that's kind of like an open world-esque game. Right. But realistically, I feel like the open world kind of just adds nuance in a bad way because like right. You're basically running around doing fetch quests in the open world, and then you have to travel between these large areas. And there's no reason for me to, oh, what's over there? Oh, what's this? Yeah. Oh, what's behind this door? There's no reason for me to do that. You know, it's just yes. go to the go to where the mini map tells me to do. What you're talking you about? You could just there? teleport me there. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. just there to, to to like I don't know. What you're talking about there is is basically a linear game in an open world. Right. And right. Like, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But that's like in that video that I was talking about, that was one of the things that they highlighted as the biggest flaws with most open world games is they end up being linear because like, for example, they, they talked about like Fallout in the Fallout games, you got to find like your family member or whatever, like Fallout right. 4 was like your daughter or some shit. Um, so a lot of players would be like, okay, well, that's pretty important. I'm going to go do that, you know, and sure. then they, they will do basically and at that point it's basically a linear situation because they're just experience. they're just following the they're main story all the way to the end to and the open world doesn't really play into that picture very well right you know? um one of the things they said was a good example was like breath of the wild where and that's a, a good version of an open world game because they're like all right you got to go kill ganon and then like you can go and do that if you want right as soon as you sure. start the game but like you're gonna die so they incentivize, like, go explore the world, get stronger, you know what's, uh, get more shit. What's probably one of my favorite examples of an open world game? What's that? Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is pretty good. I love Sea of Thieves. And because sea the, of Thieves, the open world's, like, the point of Sea right, of Thieves. Right, but it's done really well because, right. like, I don't, I don't know how much sea, sea of Thieves you played, right? But like, Well, we played it together a little bit, right? Yeah, but, like, I mean, I play it weekly. Yeah. And, um... Well, I'd say uh, it's safe to say you've played probably more than me by now, but I, I yeah. have played, you know, a bit. So, so you know, to kind of put things in, into, in, into perspective, uh, it's u usually me and my two boys who aren't in the area anymore. It's like Sea of Thieves is kind of our way to kind of still keep in touch with one another. Right. And uh, 
we always set out with like a mission, right? Like we'll text each other and like, and like we usually sail on like Wednesday nights after podcast or maybe sometimes Sunday, usually Wednesday nights after podcast. Um, but it's like, oh, let's do some Order of Souls uh, voyages. And what we set out to do is rarely what we end up doing because something along the way always just makes our plans go cattywampus. You know what I mean? It, for, for, yeah. for the good or the bad. And that's no, kind of right. what makes Sea of Thieves so engaging is that, you know, to, to your point in Fallout, you know, like there should be something in that game where when you go to find your, your wife or your family member or whatever, that should be your goal. But things along the way should distract you from that goal for better or worse. Right. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And that's um, that's another thing is like the world needs to interact with you as you're going. Right, right. right. So it's like I set out to do this and shoot, I didn't get to get, I, I didn't get to get that done yesterday because some bandit stole my coin purse. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, I mean, it could be many things. It could be like a bandit that will show yeah. up along your way. It could be that there's uh, something in the environment, like survival elements you have to think about. Maybe you have sure. to, maybe, you know, you have, uh, they they talked about Death Stranding being an example where like they're the environment, uh, well, the terrain's something you have to overcome, but like the, the rain and stuff that mm-hmm. causes like some shit yeah, yeah you have to fucking like take cover there's like there's other things that show up you gotta fucking deal yeah. with yeah no it's cool um, it's, it's super cool concepts and not a lot of games do that a lot of games yeah a lot of games feel lazy like i feel like games like like ha- like most games these days have like a really decent art team and that's kind of what carries the game so like you know going back to borderlands borderlands is basically like 30 maps that were designed Right. And then you just run from point A to point B within that map. Like right. that seems pretty generic to me. It is. And you know, I mean, part of the big thing with Borderlands is it's art style, right? Like, but like so many games, like I think you touch on a great point, which is many games are carried by like a good, um, art direction or like maybe they have like a, a like a triple A budget where they can have the triple A graphics. Whereas right. like the gameplay suffers, like, there's so many good examples of how like modern games have like regressed. Like for example, like GTA four versus GTA five, like GTA five looks better, but like, guess what dude in GTA four, like if you hit a dude with your car, like the ragdoll was way better than in mm-hmm. GTA five. Like the, if you like beat on your car, there's like deformation that happens. Whereas it's like very generic texture shit on GTA five. Like, the the technologies this is where i want to focus my game i want there to be like more of the first and not the second i want to have more of those interesting mechanics right versus triple a graphics but no substance right yeah. so that's where i want to focus like so many of my favorite games are like those weird indie games that just nail mechanics mm-hmm. right just have really solid frameworks and that makes the game fun and sell. It does, it does because that's because you, you engage with the mechanics, right? Like right. that's kind of the point of playing a game is to engage with the game. Right. Um, I wanted to get your take since it's kind of in the same vein on like uh, um, when devs get core functionality wrong. I think a good example of this recently would probably be Halo Infinite. Oh, oh my God. That's you know the best I mean? example. Like, Halo Infinite is such a disappointment. Yeah. Like, so in your opinion, you know, because you talked about prioritizing a core, what do you think their core was? For Halo Infinite? Mm-hmm. You know, I think Halo Infinite, it has an identity crisis because it tries to be a Halo game, but then it throws away all the core concepts of, of what Halo was. Sure. And says, no, we're going to do something completely different. We're going to transition to open world, right? Which, so, to be fair, I did enjoy the campaign in Halo Infinite. I did. Right, but, like, they had to cut a lot of content. Like, there's a whole, like, island in the game that we don't even go to. Oh, yeah, the, like, like the Northeast Island Correct. or whatever? That was like all cut content. over there. Right? Yeah, that was all cut content. And, like... I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's wild to me because, like, they worked on this game an extra gear and we still have cut content. You know what I mean? So that's just, she goes to show like, I mean, what bothers me is I, I don't know how like big of a halo fan you are currently. Like, (laughs) well, um, I guess I, I'm, I'm still a halo fan. I I am too. Like, like, like I still read the subreddits and stuff because I love halo, but, um, 
There was an article the other day that Halo Infinite apparently has a pretty bad melee desync bug. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty bad in the multiplayer. And then, like, some disgruntled 343 employee said, it's probably never going to get fixed because the the, the uh, department who was doing netcode for Halo Infinite has already been reassigned to another game. Yep. Isn't that such a disappointment? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like, this is the problem with uh, AAA studios, the, as big as Microsoft and stuff, right? Like, the, the problem is they're money makers, right? Mm. So they're designed to make money. That means that they're always shifting resources around, right? Like, sure. Like, if as soon as your game ships, you go skeleton crew on it, basically. That's what happens. Right. You you keep enough people around to maintain the game, but everyone else shifts to different projects. That's Halo Infinite's no different. And that's yeah, the problem. It's unfortunate. And I mean, so many games we've seen released lately, not just Halo Infinite, but like other games. Like we saw Cyberpunk, then we saw like the Battlefield game. That was like Oh, twenty forty two is a yeah. big letdown too. But you know what really bothers me about Infinite and I can't wrap my head around it? It's like Phil Spencer is such a like personal guy and like he's so big on building the xbox brand and building microsoft's brand and we're talking about microsoft here right who probably you know could could afford anything like they bought like what 80 studios i mean yeah. i'm exaggerating but like you would think that for their halo no pun intended their halo product they'd be like listen if this is a cost center for us it doesn't matter you know what i mean we're gonna right. deliver the best game on xbox that's what what's I mean? like, so confusing. And here's another thing that's confusing. confusing to me, right? Like, why reassign people on for Halo Infinite when Halo Infinite's supposed to be your, like, well, continuing well, thing, like, Halo game? Exactly like, right. And, like, if you've read, like, the developer blogs and stuff, right. is it's good developers played by bad management. Yeah. Like, they apparently have this policy where you could only work on Infinite for a maximum of 18 months before you had to go somewhere else. Why? And then they would get a new talent. I have no idea. That's so backwards. That's so weird. Yeah, that's so weird. I'll tell yeah. you from experience, right? That is terrible. And not just not developer experience specifically, but like in the Navy, right? Mm-hmm. The, there's a seashore rotation, so people are always moving in and out, right? So the, the problem with that is it takes several years for you to learn a system. In our case it was like how our servers work how our infrastructure is put together how our networking is like our ip structures all this stuff all these things combined sure is like learning the system it takes years before you're proficient and then like once you finally feel like you're cozy they you got to move to another command and new people come in right like it's there's this constant rotation and so you're always having to train these newbies that know very little and that, and as a result, they cannot do that much. Like they, they're very, their productivity levels are very low because sure. they're in this learning phase. And then you have the old guard where they're finally at their max productivity. They have to go somewhere else. Same thing. No, that makes that's sense. like Microsoft, right? If they have this policy where people are constantly rotating, I mean, mm. if they don't have a good ju- justification for that, that's really a shame because, like, once you're pe- like you're gonna these teams, um, you know, I know that they probably want to prevent. Uh, having single points of failure. This is probably something that they're trying to do. We don't want to have yeah, any like, single we, points of failure. You mostly right? see that in like accounting departments where things can get audited. You know what I mean? Like you don't really see that in like, right. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what it is. I think it's because it's weird. the money-making machine um, needs no bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. And if it's a couple people that are God tier, like, and your your entire project rests on the shoulders of those people that's dangerous right someone because, said like, someone said on reddit and i thought it was interesting because like it's like maybe that maybe that is the reason he, he said it's he said that the only reason they rotate out employees is so they can keep hiring entry-level developers and oh pay them entry-level wages dude you know what i wouldn't be surprised because that's yeah. the environment we live in right now yeah it's like it even in our field like i see it uh where companies will hire on uh, it people and they want to hire them on for cheap, dude. Like, yeah. in in my field, it's IT people, right? Straight out of the military, they they've got the training from being active duty, so they want to pick them up for like dirt cheap, like, and they'll take the jobs too because they're fresh out of the military. It's right. like being fresh out of school, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. So like they'll they'll pick up these guys for cheap, but like they'll suck, you know, yeah. and like but they don't care because. 
you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're paying them for nothing. They check the yeah. box. They have an IT guy. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting too, because like, um, uh, you know, three four three prior to Halo Infinite coming out was showing off the engine they made for it, Slip Space. Yeah, and it they looks were talking way about, different. And they were talking about how. You know, it allows them to do, you know, have more technical liberties, have more creative liberties, have more yeah. armor customizations. And it's literally worse than Halo 3 in every way. Yeah. No, you're right. Isn't it's it worse funny? than Halo 3 you can in see every way. People yeah. like compare the two. Like it's obvious. Like how this, it seems like this is a trend now because like it seems yeah. like you see there's always like, uh, a, there's a tons promise. of games. Well, yeah, a big promise that under delivers every time, right? Like that's why yeah. we don't pre-order games anymore. That's why like right. everyone says don't pre-order games because that's the environment we live in now. You can't trust development uh, to turn out the way you want it to. It could be a bad publisher. It could be development hell. Who knows what it is? I think part of the problem, you know, to be honest with you, I think part of the problem is that games don't make money anymore, and like. I say that from like maybe a realm of, you know, just being jaded. Mm. I don't know what it is, but let me give you a good example. Okay. So, um, uh, Diablo immortal is making over a million dollars a day Mm -hmm. and it's a terrible game. It's a terrible game that blizzard outsourced to netties, which is like a Chinese or Korean company that literally specializes in making games be, uh, addictive to spend money on. Yep. That's that's literally what they 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 have focus groups on 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 what's called the wedge technique. Yeah. So you sell someone on something that's like ninety nine cents, right. and then you sell them on something that's a dollar ninety nine, and then you sell them on something that's two ninety nine, right. and you keep j- driving that wedge in there un- un- until they, until they become whales. So now you have this developer like Blizzard, you know, who goes to make a game, and their most profitable game is a not I don't even want to call them a game development company they're 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 more, they're more of a psychological company right that's now their most profitable product and then we see games that they know aren't going to make money in that regard like Warcraft 3 Reforged gets like three people on it and the game is trash because they had three people on it but so like you know I think it's going to be really hard for games to um to, to, to like be successful now yeah. because look at like uh look at like apex legends or league of legends or basically any game that engine ends, ends in legends it's just <laughs> a cash cow raid like, shadow legends yeah Fucking. raid shadow legends like <laughs> i joke about it all the time because like my friends love league of legends and like there was a time when i liked league too but right. like league was like the first game that ruined gaming because like league was the first game where it's like oh who you let's put out a 35 dollar sona skin yeah and, 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 I and bought everyone it. and their mother including myself and including you yeah said yes that's okay i'll pay the cost for one art asset in a game I the know. cost of a full game and now I, yeah. everyone does it we have battle passes we have loot boxes we have skins we have weapon skins we have emotes we have banners basically any th- level of customization yeah that and you shit. Used to unlock now we're in trying a game. to have nfts too and like and like the the cost ratio for this is literally more than the cost of the game. I know. So you, yeah, we live in a free to play economy now, dude. They make business models. Everything is awful, man. Everything is awful. Like I bought Apex Legends when it came out, like 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 the first pack for like thirty bucks or whatever. Now I have to spend thirty dollars again to get more champions. Like yeah. what the hell? Like. What, what happened to just, I don't know. I, I, I know what I, you I, mean. I'm just frustrated. No, man. listen, it's just, listen. It's frustrating. I came from an era where when you bought a game, you got the whole thing. Yeah, same. Right? same. I come from an era where there wasn't even fucking patches for your game. All yeah. right? There was just fucking the game. Yeah, man. Okay? There was no, like, early access. I'm playing Diablo 2, dude. It's, like, one of the last good games. That's what I'm saying. Like, the old guard knows and remembers that games didn't have don't have to be this way, right? The games used to have a lot more respect for their players, and nowadays it's just completely different. This is why I'm so like adamant about my son not playing those exploitive games because I don't agree with them fundamentally. Right. Right. I just think that we should we deserve better. We should expect better from our games. We shouldn't expect this bullshit. We shouldn't accept it at all. And and like Diablo Immortal, 
Immortal is a perfect case study for why we're going in this direction. It's because the money's there, dude. People will pay it. That's the reality. And and sure. it's it's it, right. it may not be the reality we want to hear. It's the sad truth. Is like people are paying for this shit. You know, and it's making so much money. And we all know it's about money, right? That's where I think indie will save us because it's the the one place where people are still making games out of passion and not for profit. Right. And that's really where I stand. Diablo, right? just, just, I got some numbers here. Sure. Diablo Immortal in the first 30 days made $49 million in microtransactions in 30 days. That's insane amount of money. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? And um, what what compounds this, dude, is streamers. Streamers, yeah, like you saw the ones spending like twenty k. You know, I mean, a stream. lot of them have spent a lot of money, and yeah. people are donating money for them to buy into this stuff. Yeah. So they're buying it themselves, and then they're also giving other people money to do the same. Yeah. What it's really the mobile gaming market that is exploded, right? Like compared to like the normal video gaming market, the mobile gaming market is like the majority now in a significant way. Oh, for sure, way. for sure. And, it, and I'm just talking about money, right? Like in dollars that are in that fucking industry, the mobile gaming market is absolutely huge. Massive. And this is where these big companies are, they have their eyes set on it because it's where the money is. And it's a shame because AAA used to be about like making these big budget Xbox, PlayStation titles that everybody sort of acknowledged as being the gold standard, right? Like I know I'm a gamer, but I've always been a console gamer, a PC gamer where the big games are, the triple A's, the the ones that the are heavy like hitters, the dude, heavy the complete, hitters, the complete experience. Exactly. But like the problem is now like it's so easy for companies to fall into these uh these uh exploitive traps where they, they will make decisions based on profit. It's like when Shadow of War came out. You know that game? Uh, Middle Earth, Middle uh, Earth Shadow yeah, of War. Because yeah. yep. I, I played, um, what was the one before that? Um, shit. Middle Earth, uh, Shadow, of Shadow of Mordor. And that was like one of my favorite games. Right. I game. loved that game. Great and game. I thought the yeah. systems they built in the game were very yeah. good. This is an example where you have a triple A game and then you have systems to back it up. They had they called it the Nemesis system and it was so immersive. Oh, is that, what, is that like those like work pawns would move? Yes. Around and, and they yeah, had awesome. personalities and they That's would cool. follow you throughout and like you, would, really cool. they, you would get like uh, rivalries between them and like it was really cool. You felt like they were, they had personality and they basically for Shadow of War took everything they did for Shadow of Mordor, scaled it up, but then they did scummy shit. They added like, um, pay to cheat code stuff where you could do like boosts. And you know, when they have boosts, that means that they nerf the amount of experience you get to incentivize. And and dude, people said it was a snail's pace to level up in that game and to progress because they wanted you to spend fucking yeah. money. They they ruined the game experience to incentivize that profit, right? Like to get you to spend. So it wasn't until like, I don't know, years later that they came back and patched out a lot of that shit, right? And made the game actually playable. But like it launched and for a long time after that, it was a garbage game. And like so many games fall victim to this. It's insane. It pisses me off. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell you're heated. I'm yeah. It's ask Amanda, dude. I get on a like a a big thing about it whenever like Alex is going to play a game I don't like, and I'm like, I don't want him playing that. Like that game is shit. Yeah. Like I will just straight up be like, this is like one thing, dude. Like that game is shit. He can play a better game. There's like a million of them. Or he pick one. Pick a pick, a pick game, the Nintendo maybe. Switch, dude. Nintendo, even though they charge sixty dollars for life on every oh, game yeah, they make, dude. I agree. At I least agree. their games are not filled with shit. You know, I agree. Apple Arcade filled with games that you can just play, no microtransactions, no ads. Beautiful, yeah. That's fucking respecting you. Yeah. What what Microsoft is doing with Game Pass, pretty respectful. You know what I'm saying? So there's I like Game Pass. That's what I'm saying. So like, it's like you have these glimmers of hope. That will save the gaming industry. Indie indie games are still there to save us. Uh, it's just the problem with indie games is like 
you don't get that many great ones. It's not like you got AAA gaming studios uh, making indie games. It's just not how right. it works, right? Like you don't got indies making AAA type of games. It's just not how it works. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see, dude. Yeah. So you know, stay tuned on more for that. I guess you know we'll, we'll be we'll be chipping away at it slowly. Slow process. It is slow, but slow process. Like the, the it's a marathon, not a race. We just got to mm. keep going. Right. I, you know, I've been reading up on like how to make things into habit. Right. And like you just have to, it's re- repetition. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to keep doing it. And for me, it's going to be like every day committing more and more time to game dev and, and learning and putting my hands on it and like getting in there. And like it has to become a habit because that's what it's going to need to be if I'm going to be uh, serious about it. So, yeah, no, man, I, I get it. It's exciting times for sure. Cause again, you know, I've liked learning and like, it, it was one of those things that's like, I've always wanted to be hyper proficient in a language. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, this is a reason. You know what the cool thing is? Once you get like good at like maybe one or two languages, like you can you, pretty you much flop. Easier? Yeah. yeah. Cause like yeah. the concepts are really similar between them. The syntax, the syntax changes. Yeah. yeah. And like, so like once you get good at programming in a couple of languages, like we're going to be able to say like, yeah, we can do programming like legitimately. Yeah, that's like my buddy who, uh, who worked for Amazon, right? Like, I think I told you this story, but like as part of his interview process, it was, it was seven or eight interviews and four of them were technical. Um, and then he had to solve problems, uh, in whichever language he chose, he chose and he solved the problem and he said, here's a solution in four different languages. Nice. You know, because that's just how he is. But, like, to your point, you know, like, I I guess he's got proficient in one. And then, like, he dabbled in the other ones enough that, like, to solve the problem, he knew the syntax to do it in the others. So Yeah. And, you know, the crazy thing about programming is there's, like, multiple ways to solve the problem. Right. And there's definitely better ways than others. There's more efficient ways and more long ways. Yes. So so, so that's basically, you know, how they graded him, right, was, like, what solution did you use to solve this? Not, did you solve this? How did you get there? What was the most efficient, which had the least overhead, you know? Yeah. It's like learning in, uh, uh, what we're doing right now with CS 50, how they talked about for loops mm-hmm. and like how there's ways for you to, um, to do like, you could just copy and paste the same argument over and over changing like the variable, but that's like not clean code. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So it works so, smarter. Like, are you, you familiar know? with like for, for loops and if then statements and, yeah, a little storing bit. things in arrays and stuff. Yeah, I took a I took a C class back in school, and I took a JavaScript class back in school. So, uh, and plus, I do a lot of like Boolean and um, uh, APEC stuff for work. So I do those pretty frequently. Nice. So then I look forward to seeing what you can code. You know what I'm saying? I, I I'm not that good, but like you're you know, gonna get level, good. Base level. I'm gonna dude. drag you kicking and screaming. Let's do it, dude. Let's do into it into the code because I want to get you to program some of these systems in these games. Do it. You know, and and we're gonna have to get good at like documentation and all this shit. It's gonna be wild. It's gonna be wild. But I want to make it fun. I want this to It'll be, be what I do for fun because yeah. like I don't have really too much time to play games anymore as a result. Like if I want to do this. So I want to make the it game is playing the game. Yeah. Basically I want to, uh, get to the point where I do this for fun. And, uh, because that's the only way, like with a nine to five job, you can really get away with being an indie dev. Yeah. As if you it has to become a, it has to become your, your, your exactly. Leisure. So that's the goal with it. Yeah. We'll man. See what happens. But, uh, but yeah, man, we're, we can wrap the podcast up unless you got more topics. Uh, just, just a few things, just a few things to cover. Still we going got, strong said, on the S22 Ultra, you know, didn't change my phone guys, in case anyone's wondering. Wait, yeah, the, the, uh, this is the, what uh, phone are you using segment of the yeah, podcast? Yeah, I'm still using the S22 Ultra. Um, you know, it's interesting because like, uh, there, there, there was a brief stint where like, I don't like being in varied ecosystems, you know, it just bugs me. It just irks me. And like I was considering switching to a Dell laptop because I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to, it just, it just bothers me when things don't work together. That's, that's the best way I can put it. Um, but I think, you know, I think you were right a long time ago and it sucks because like, yeah, it would be nice to have the iPhone integration and stuff. I think it's iPad, Mac, Android phone. Yeah. And like, uh, now with how my phone is set up, like my S22, I don't think I could ever currently not have an Android phone. And I say that, notice I said, 
I would not get an iPhone. I said not have an Android phone. Um, and yeah. my reason for saying that is, is because um, there are a lot of things that I now use my phone for that I couldn't do on an iPhone. And two of the things that like I've really gotten to the habit of is like if I'm, if I'm, you know, uh, just just recently, you know, I had to uh, turn up some ports because I'm sure you know that like ports that aren't, aren't in use on a switch or router, you have them administratively disabled. Right. for security so like someone can't plug into them and then i just pulled out my phone and took a quick note of what ports i needed to open from the server room and then i went back and did it but just like that like you know screen off note taking in my pocket is something that i've like kind of developed a habit of using yeah and now it's something that i don't want to lose you right know? and the other thing is uh we're a bit of a nerd so we, so we run ubiquity stuff at home i know you do as well right uh but we also run ubiquity stuff at work and the management app can only be logged into one management account at, at, at a time on your phone. But on Android, I could just clone the app and I have an orange colored one for work and then I have the normal one for home. Yeah. So like if I had an iPhone, I would have to sign out and sign in every time I needed to manage a different network and that would suck. Yeah. But on Android phone, I could just clone the app because it lets me install unsigned applications. So I could just change the build prop number and have two of the same app. It's a you beautiful I mean? like, thing, dude. Yeah, like things like that are just hyper convenient. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we're at the point now and you know, I didn't believe it for a long time, but I, I think I do now where Android is like good enough to where I yeah. can't complain. Right. I can't no. complain. Like no, I was I'm like that too. for a yeah. long time where I was like, iOS is just better. The apps are just better. But like I'm at the yeah. point now where like everything's I was in my good chamber enough. for a while time. Like, uh, uh, like, like there was a time where, I mean, I'm still like that in some ways, you know, like for example, um, Kelly stopped at the the beer distributor to pick up some beer, and I said, "Oh, take a picture of the coolers and show me what's in the coolers." Well, because it was SMS, I couldn't read anything in those coolers. Man, that picture was yeah. basically garbage. I get so, it. I get it. That sucks. Yeah. So there you, are things like that. Message, yeah. But like on on like the same token, you know, I recently picked up. I, I have the box here, the Sony XM4s, the uh, like uh, earbuds, and they are Sony branded. You know, they're not Samsung or Google branded. But they have all of the same features that you would expect from AirPods on the Apple ecosystem. So you just open the case, the pairing window pops up, they automatically got added to Google Find My, you know, the the Android 12 native Google widget that sh that shows you the, the case battery and the left and the right percentage battery. That all works. It's all integrated. It, it's like literally like if this was like two Apple products talking to one another, but they're from different brands. Yeah. You know, Apple would never allow that. No. So... No, that's true. I mean, that's kind of the nice thing about Android is like it's not really a closed ecosystem. Yeah. And I mean, for a while, I didn't care about that. But like it's at the point now where there's like feature parity with what iOS has. There is feature parity for sure. Like almost like, in every way. So and like, uh, I, I, I mean, just just going to be totally honest. And like if anyone disagrees with me, they could fight me. Um <laughs> Uh, there is literally not a Mac, uh, a laptop out there that will match what Apple's doing right now. I've right. looked. Ask, ask Eric. I've been all over on this. I've looked constantly, and he I tried. just can't do it. I, he was I really close to getting the XPS yeah. uh, thirteen, uh, whatever plus thirteen plus. Yeah, yeah. and I mean it. It looks beautiful. I gotta say, it does. It, does. it, it, it does looks look really, nice. really nice. It's just not as good. It's just right. not as good. And like right. uh, you know, so really, the Mac is still the way to go. And I want to get an iPad so I can sidecar it and be able to use my Apple Pencil with Blender. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that, I'm, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keeping the mini just because it's cool. But uh, if that if that uh, um, iPad comes out in the fall with an M2, I'll probably get the big one. And then yeah. I'll probably relegate the mini to being like a like a home control device for my friends come over to play music and stuff like that. That'll be like my it'll be my perfect home for that yeah. device. So for sure, and I mean that's part of the reason I wanted the mini. But like the mini to me will be less usable than the big one, just because I for already sure. have like a fold, for sure. And the phones are big now too. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. If I still had the fold, the mini kind of does that same thing. Yeah, so you it's know? like, why would I pick up the mini so, when I have the fold already? I would probably, yeah, I would probably wait for the big boy M2 iPad. Yeah, and that'll be the play because, like, right now I'm looking, I'm in the market for a new iPad, but I'm waiting. So, like, yeah, if they come we know they're coming new, in the fall already because yeah. we know they get an annual update, and they purposefully missed this this spring mm -hmm. or March, whatever you want to call it, mid. Do you mid think it's going to be like a upgrade? basic refresh, just a new chip? 
I I don't actually because there's rumors floating around that we may get a 14.1 inch iPad to compete with the S8 Ultra. No way. Yeah. No way, dude. Yeah. That'd be in, that would be monstrous. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if you've been following the leaks or not, but they're apparently dip, ditching the Max nomenclature as well for their phones. Mm. Well, it, because they're getting rid of the Mini, so so now they're saying it's going to be the iPhone 14 and the iPhone 14 Plus, and the iPhone 14 Pro and the iPhone 14 Pro Plus. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever they want to call it. Yeah. But like now they're saying that we might get an iPad Pro Plus, which would be, which would be confusing because bigger. you have the iPad Pro 11, the iPad Pro 12, and the iPad Pro Plus 14.1, mm. maybe. Who knows? Anyway, yeah. that's that's kind of what's floating around in the, in the rumor mill now. Um, we may see, you know, the XDR display trickle down to the 11, which would be cool. Um, mm. But I think I'd get the big one because Kelly has the big one, and it's so nice. It's so nice for like using like pen-based applications on it, which would yeah. be ideal, you and know, honestly, for sidecar. Yeah, because I'm about to go pretty hard with, like, using the Apple Pencil for stuff. Like, it's just yeah. going to be easier for, like, for game dev note-taking and, like, kind of just putting ideas down. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to be, like, perfect for that. Well, what's what's cool about the 12.9-inch iPad, I'm sure you probably know this already, but it's they landed on that size because your canvas is roughly the size of an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. Right. So it's literally like carrying around a sheet of paper, you know? Yeah. So yeah so there you go smart anyway move. that's kind of what i wanted to just you know give a little up tech update no well we needed one you know we haven't talked tech in a couple of weeks or whatever yeah. so you know so it's about time but we should wrap it up dude yeah let's wrap it up anyway this is the outro for the technostatic podcast thanks for listening thanks for watching thanks for coming along and uh we appreciate you always always always, appreciate always. It. check us out on youtube give us like subscribe all that check us out on technostatic.com where you can see where you can listen and watch us you know we're gonna be on there and uh yeah check us out every Stay other week for game updates right yep and we'll see you guys next time on the podcast